Uh, wow. Thanks so much, guys. That was really good. It's really good to see you guys again. Oh, it's awesome. This is, uh, this is definitely a first for me. I've never worn sunglasses while preaching. Hey, Maggie. <laughs> uh, and I've never preached on a flat deck. Uh, maybe we should take this on the road, though. Maybe John could be our driver and uh, you guys can play and I'll preach. And uh, we can do some outdoor services. That would be fun. Okay, well, let's get, let's get going on this. This is, uh, this is definitely different for me, but we're, we're excited that we can be here. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for joining us this morning. Uh, let's just pray before we dive in. Lord, I thank you so much that uh, we can uh, be together, that we can hear from your word, that we can worship you, we can be encouraged and challenged. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you speak through me this morning. Uh, we thank you for the worship team and just them leading us this morning. That was great, Lord. Uh, we just pray that, uh, yeah, you bless the rest of our time together. Amen. All right, so today we're looking at uh, Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter one, so you can turn there. We're going to be spending time there this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab those. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV. I'm going to read uh, in a few different uh, sections, and uh, we'll kind of walk through this passage together. So Nehemiah chapter one. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Uh, in the movie, A Serious Man, the protagonist Larry Gopnik wrestles through his relationship with God as he continues to face constant struggle and hardship. As the story unfolds, Larry starts to see every aspect of his life unraveling before him. His work, his marriage, and his health. About three quarters of the way through the film, things start to have a glimmer of hope. He's able to get out of some financial problems, and the doctors are happy with what they see in some recent test results. We start to see signs of hope for poor Larry. However, in the final five minutes of the movie, Larry once again sees everything unravel. He receives a very large legal bill. His doctor calls him and asks that he come down right away to discuss his recent x-rays. And in the background of his office, we can see an impending hurricane making its way toward the school that he works at. The movie ends with one of the older school teachers trying to frantically find the correct key to get the students into the basement where it'll be safe from the storm, but he isn't able to open the door as his hands continue to shake. The final thing we see is the hurricane getting closer and closer. This, unfortunately, is the reality of life. It's the phone call from the doctor, it's the job loss, it's pain and struggle, it's divisiveness, it's arguing and fighting, it's the front page news, it's an old man frantically trying to find the right key to safety, but can't quite seem to get it right. And we just wait and hope that he can figure it out. And it's Nehemiah getting word about his homeland and the news is devastating. 
So much so that he spends days praying and mourning and grieving. What is our reaction when we see things in disarray? How do we handle bad news? And I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a lot of chaos all around us right now. What we see in our culture today must move us to prayer. Humanity is trying to take control and it's not working. And I'll admit my first reaction to much of what I've seen happen in the last year has not moved me to prayer and mourning, but anger and frustration. It has only been more recent that I have started to see the state of Grand Forks and have been moved to lament. Instead of taking sides, gathering information for my opinions and arguing my points, I have found myself like Nehemiah lamenting. When I find myself so sure that I am right about something, I naturally assume that God's affirming my stance. God and I have the exact same opinion on the matter, therefore God is on my side and not on yours. But it's a bit of a dangerous business claiming God for your team. In Joshua 5, uh, we see a bit of this happening. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. <laughs> he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Isn't it interesting that the commander of the Lord's army says he is not on either side of the situation Joshua was in? Instead of arguing, Joshua falls right on his face and he worships and he asks for instruction. I want to be on God's side and God's side doesn't come with a political party. It requires me to take a posture of worship, lament, confession, and direction. What does my Lord say to his servant? I lament my shortfalls, and I lament our current cultural climate, and I lament the news that I am receiving even just here in town. In Acts, uh, Peter's sermon starts with this, or actually it's near the end. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The words cut to the heart could be a good start for us when we consider the act of lamenting. I've been cut to the heart by a number of things lately, and so the proper reaction is for me to bring it before the Lord. I don't have to fight God's battles. Instead, I'm called to be obedient. If we look around us today, are we cut to the heart? Do we react the same way that Nehemiah does, with mourning and prayer? I need to lament instead of standing up for my rights and my desires. Instead of looking at how broken everyone else is, I need to look inward first, and I need to pray. Richard Foster puts it this way, Penthos is the Greek word for it. There is simply no good English equivalent. It is a frequent experience for those who walk across the pages of the Bible and a reoccurring theme in the works of the great devotional writers. Penthos means a broken and contrite heart. Penthos means inward godly sorrow. Penthos means blessed, holy mourning. So at this time, if you have the handout, it's actually on it, on the back. I'm actually just going to invite us into... Um, into a prayer. I'm going to pray and uh, invite you to join me. So I'm going to start with the prayer of lament. Gracious Jesus, it is easier for me to approach you with my mind than my tears. 
I do not know how to pray from the emotive center of my life or even how to get in touch with that part of me. Still, I come to you just as I am. I'm sorry for my many rejections of your overtures of love. Please forgive all my offenses against your law. I repent of my callous and insensitive ways. Break my stony heart with the things that break your heart. Jesus, you went through your greatest trial in unashamed agony and wept tears of deep, deep sorrow. In remembrance of your sorrow, help me to weep over my sin and my sins. For your sake and in your name I pray. Amen. So let's continue going through Nehemiah, starting in verse 5. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So after Nehemiah mourns and fasts, he moves into a time of confession. Nehemiah sees the problem and notices that he is part of it. This also reflects the passage that we were reading in Acts from Peter's sermon. So I want to look there again. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the crowd listening to Peter's sermon were cut to the heart. They were broken, they lamented, and they said, what now? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Lament and confession, I believe, are a lost art form in our day. When we believe that the problem is always outside of us, then why would we ever feel the need to repent? It's always someone else's fault. It's always the media or the church leadership or the liberals. Why would I ever need to repent of anything? But repentance and confession is an inward act. It's self-evaluation. When God created the world, he spoke order into chaos. There was a created order established. And after the fall, absolute chaos impacted every single aspect of creation. Part of what it means to be a Christian to be a Christ follower is to bring order into chaos. We must look around us and assess where the chaos is and work at speaking life into the order and life and order into those situations. And this is what Nehemiah set out to do. But before he could do that, he had to first look at himself in the mirror and ask, am I part of the problem? Am I part of the chaos? So what are some of the things that you are most passionate about right now? And I think it's good to ask us, is Jesus passionate about those same things? And in your passion, how have you handled yourself? Do you find that you're often angry or dismissive of other people or uh, people that we talk with in person or online? 
What is your thought life like in regard to other people inside and outside of the church? When was the last time you came before the Lord to confess your sins? When was the last time you went to a friend to confess sin or, or ask for accountability or help? Again, Richard Foster writes, Confession is both private and communal. It's a wonderful truth that the individual can break through into new life through the cross without the aid of any human mediator. But if we have not experienced release from the sins and sorrows of the past by means of private confession, we have not exhausted our resources, nor God's grace. God has given the Christian fellowship to help us. We can share our burden with one, with one another in Christian community. Such persons will stand in Christ's stead and give us the word of forgiveness in Christ's name. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession shows us the greatness and the goodness of God. So to get away from our own agendas, we first need to repent and take stock of ourselves. Before we could even dream about praying for God's direction and vision for ourselves or for the church in Grand Forks, we need to first spend time confessing our sins. So once again, let's pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change, open to a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image, through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. All right, so let's finish by reading the rest of, uh, of Nehemiah here, starting in verse 8, or continuing on anyway. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So Nehemiah lamented, repented, and now he's ready for direction. Once Nehemiah has put things in order for his own heart, he's now ready to receive direction from the Lord. And notice what it is said about God's people being scattered and gathered. If we are to have any hope of hearing from God and seeing the gospel impact lives in our community, we must be gathered people under God. We must be a gathered people under God. That means a shared vision, passion, and unity with one another, which can be achieved if we take lament and confession seriously. God will scatter us if we are unfaithful, so let's be faithful. When we come to prayer... For direction, we are not bringing our own agendas to God and asking him just to bless them. We are coming to God asking that he might share with us his plans. And as I went through a lot of wrestling in this last year and since the fall about my own future personally, and just asking what might be next for me, I was trying to take a posture of not demanding God uh, help me accomplish my agenda. 
And it was a season of discernment and hopefully a season of open hands to the Lord's direction and plan for my own life. I didn't want to take a single step without having first confidence that God was leading me. There was a, a ton of uncertainty and at the same time, a lot of peace. I knew God had a plan and I had to be patient to see it unfold. I had to stay in constant prayer. Andy Stanley says, prayer keeps us looking. Prayer keeps the burden fresh. It keeps our eyes and hearts in an expectant mode. Prayer doesn't force God's hand, but it keeps us on the lookout for his intervention. Nehemiah put himself in a position to be ready for what God had for him. He waited for the opportunity and he was not going to be asleep at the wheel. Are we ready for the next opportunity God has for our church? We are in a season of prayer as a church here at Gospel Chapel. We implore you to go before the Lord each day and ask him what he would have us do. And to quote Rick Gill, just pray. <laughs> he reminds me of that a lot. This is going to stretch us. And Andy Stanley again writes, when you look at the landscape of your circumstances, it is overwhelming. It just doesn't look like, there, look like there's any way in the world to pull it off. That is always the case when God puts something in our hearts for us to do. The task always appears to be out of reach. The reason it appears that way is because it is. God-ordained visions are always too big for us to handle. We shouldn't be surprised consider the source. If vision doesn't scare us a little bit, I'm not sure that it's big enough. Have you ever considered, as a Christ follower, that there are times in our lives where we have an even greater opportunity to show love, joy, and peace toward others? As John 3 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. What a time for the church right now to show the world Jesus. It's like being a firefighter. You don't want there to be fires, but when there is, you're stoked to help out. You're ready. The spiritual realm around us right now is blazing. Let's get off the bench, let's suit up, and let's get after it. You're being called up. Has there ever been a better opportunity for the gospel to advance in our lifetime? With so much division, hate, and confusion, and chaos, we can step in. We lament, we confess, then we get off of our knees, and we move. So let's end this morning with one last prayer. Lord, we desire as a church to take hold of the vision you have for us and pray that you would lead us and guide us to take a collective step of faith in the direction that you would have us go. Help us, we pray, to grasp the church vision that you have for us, and may we be sensitive to your leading and guidance. Prevent us from seeking to implement our own inferior ideas or substitute our own man-made notions of your plans and purposes. Draw us closer to each other and to you as we seek your face together in prayer. May we be strengthened, united together in the unity of the faith, and prompted to carry out your plans and purposes to your greater glory. We pray that the church vision that emerges in our hearts will have been prompted by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the saints and to your praise and glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
There is no greater vision than the vision that God had for humanity when he sent Jesus Christ down to earth to die for us. And friends, if you are here this morning or if you're hearing this, please, I, I ask and, that you consider Jesus Christ, that he came down to save humanity and he is here now with us in our current climate, in our current culture, in our church and in our town right here. And he has a vision for us and he is working now today. So for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, I pray and I ask that you consider Jesus and the work that he's done on the cross for you. And if you are here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, my prayer for you and and what I ask of you this morning is that you continue to be a light in dark times, that you speak order into chaos, and that we continue to support one another in love, in joy, and in peace. So thank you so much for joining us here this morning. And uh, I just pray that you, you go from here with the strength of the Lord this week. Blessings on you.